Sam, the only thing I could think of when you said big games for all, first thing that came to my mind was dodgeball. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm thinking I might not want to play that one. <laughs> so, Well, good morning. We are in uh, the book of Ephesians. I like September, too. All right, so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll begin uh, reading. We're going to read the first 13 verses. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. I'm going to tell you a story that some of you already know, but some of you are not in the know, and uh, so I'll have to explain it to you. It's a story about a secret, and it's a secret of mine, and I've had this secret for many, many years. And it has something to do with my bride. In 30 days, we will, Lord willing, be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. And I have been planning to celebrate this special occasion for many, many, many years. Over the 30 years of marriage, we have not always been able to do something special or go anywhere or even go out for dinner. Um, and some of it was because we couldn't afford it. Some of it was because we uh, had ministry that we were involved in and it took priority. There were reasons why we couldn't do it. Other things came first. But in my heart, I had a plan. And I was almost bursting at the seams, wanting to make known the plan that I had all of these years in my heart. But it was kept hidden from Krista. And it was unknown to my friends. They didn't know it either. And it was unknown to anyone and everyone except for me. 
My old parents could not tell because they didn't know about it. And even those who were closest to me um, knew that something was up, but even they did not understand the full extent of my plans. And I lived and I relived this plan in my heart, just waiting for the day to come that I'd be able to express my love for my wife openly and freely and very publicly. And the plan was worked out in my heart uh, and mind for many years. And along the way, I was not ashamed to, in order to accomplish this plan, to stoop down and pick up pennies that I saw on the street. And I would pocket those pennies and I would save them. And I was not ashamed to do that because I knew that in doing that, I would bless my wife. I kept those, the change that I would find in my pocket. Somehow, it just magically would appear. I'd go to the grocery store or someplace and I'd buy something and then I'd get home and there's a pocket full of change. Where'd that come from? And so I would put it aside. And I would save it up. And I knew that one, and I wouldn't spend it. And I knew that one day I could use it because I wanted to bless my wife. And I had a credit card that gave me bonus cash every single year. And uh, they used to send me, on my anniversary date, a bonus check. And then they stopped doing that. And it just kept accumulating and accumulating. And I said, all right, you can keep the money because I won't be tempted to spend it that way. And so they just kept the money and it kept accumulating and accumulating until finally I cashed it in because I wanted to bless my wife. And slowly over the years, it accumulated for such a time as this. And then I have another credit card that for each dollar that I spend, they give me free air miles. I don't do anything. I just spend money and they just give me free air miles. And I'd watch every month as the statement would come in and it would be, you know, like that national debt, you know. Not, not quite as fast, but it would be accumulating miles each month. And at the end of the month, I would say, man, I'd like to take a trip, <laughs> but I'm going to save it because I wanted to bless my bride. And those nights over the last seven years that we've had to spend in hotel rooms, sleeping in somebody else's hotel, well, there was a perk to that too because for every so many nights that I spent, they would give me free nights for later. And so all of a sudden, I have not only free miles, but I have free hotel nights too. And all these bonuses were stored away for the future. And I knew that one day, I would bless my bride. And all of this was being done behind the scenes and hidden from her sight. I never shared with her the amounts I put aside. I never shared with her the amount of mileage we had. I never shared with her how many hotel nights we had accumulated. But my intention and my purpose was not to keep it secret, but was to bless my bride. And, yes, it's true, I would even do dumpster diving, literally. I would do dumpster diving. And I'm not ashamed to say it. You see, we have guests that stay at our house and they're... They seem to be, have no end of cash, and they buy soda and water bottles. Our water is perfectly good. It's filtered already, but they buy water bottles, 
and they drink it all from these water bottles and then just throw them in the garbage. So I don't have to go too far. You won't see me out on the street. <laughs> but I do dumpster diving right at my house. And uh, they throw out cans and bottles, all the kinds of things that can be recycled. And I had to humble myself and dig through the filth of the garbage. But I knew it was worth it because I wanted to bless my bride. And no one knew. Well, she might have seen me a few times. Yeah, you smelled me. <laughs> I used to shower. No, I still do. <laughs> And then I began to put the plan into action so I could bless my bride. And I chose a time and I chose a date that happened to fit with our 30th wedding anniversary, which is September 30th, 2013, if anybody cares to know. But I had so much in my heart and I wanted to express my love for her in so many ways that I thought a single day is just not going to do it. It's not going to be enough. So I began to reveal my plan to my wife. And I did it in a public way on Facebook. For those of you who don't know what Facebook is, where have you been? <laughs> yeah. So Facebook is a website, we'll just say, that is a interactive community of friends and acquaintances, and you can send pictures to each other and texts to each other and little dribs and drabs of things that you happen to be eating that moment or whatever. And it's just a way of communicating. It's a social network, they call it. And that's what I did. So I thought, well, in a very public way, I want to express my love to my wife. What better way than to all of my friends and acquaintances on Facebook? The whole world could see it if they want to. They don't think it's looking, but they could. And... Um, Although I was revealing what was on my heart, I still kept it hidden in the form of riddles. To me, the riddles were quite obvious because, let me quote this, I know all the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, um, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. But to others, the plans were all hidden. So there was a mystery, uh, all of the plans were a mystery, and they could not be known unless I revealed the meaning of the mystery. Many longed to know the meaning of the riddles and diligently sought the answers. Many people actually asked me, okay, I don't get this, what are you saying? But I hid it because I wanted to bless my bride. But now I am about to reveal what was in my heart all along. September has 30 days. It's going to be our 30th anniversary. So you're going to begin to get the math here a little bit. Okay? September has 30 days, and we've been married for 30 years. So I have decided to spend each day with her, and each day will represent one year of our marriage for the next 30 days. Day one will represent year one. Day two will represent year two, and so on, all the way until we get to the 30th, which happens to be our anniversary. Man, I'm glad we picked that day. Just worked out so good. And all of the events and all of the gifts that she receives over the next 30 days were hidden from my wife, but will re be revealed to her 
in the next 30 days. And I want to lavish my love upon her so that she knows the riches of my love for her. And I'm doing this because I want to bless my bride. Good, you're getting it. Now, this story may seem like a planet away from Ephesians chapter 3, but it's really not. It's very, very closely linked. I have told the story as an illustration, and it illustrates chapter 3 actually quite nicely. There are similar similarities in the story, but you'll find that my story is actually quite weak in comparison to what the Lord has done for us. So let's take a look at chapter 3 again and see what Paul is saying here. Paul was in prison because he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And from prison, he is writing in a triumphant way, and he says that he is a prisoner, not of Rome, but he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is in prison because he has been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and the unsearchable riches of Christ to them. And along the way, he was arrested, he was imprisoned, and from prison, he is writing this letter to the Ephesians. In fact, it's very likely that he is here because of an Ephesian believer. And so he is um, uh, he's in prison for that. So he told the Gentiles about Jesus Christ, and he was put in prison as a result of it. So verse 2, now this is a very interesting um, what I call it, a very interesting way he writes this chapter. So initially in chapter, in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, I'm sorry, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and so on. And then there's a parenthesis. And this parenthesis goes from verse 2 all the way to verse 14. And the reason I find it so fascinating is because in a literary style, you, if you've seen... Um, if you've read other books, sometimes they do have this kind of a parenthesis. And you're going along and you're reading the book and all of a sudden it just shifts. And you go, whoa, where'd that come from? And then you're in this other thought process during the next few chapters or, or pages or paragraphs or whatever. And then all of a sudden the author goes back to what he was talking about to begin with. So that's a parenthesis. And it's a very long parenthesis. It's 13 verses. But it's very interesting to me that the parentheses in this section actually describes a parentheses in God's dealing with people on earth. And so what is that parentheses? Well, God has reached out to all mankind. And he specifically took a people group, the Jews, and he set them apart as his people. And he began to work with them and wanted them to be his witnesses on the earth. And they didn't do too well. And so God pushed the pause button, if you will, or made a parenthesis. And now he is dealing with the church. And the church age is from the time of Pentecost until the time of the rapture. And when he's through with the rapture and we're taken home to be with him in heaven, that clock starts again with the Jews and the parentheses will be over. Well, Paul is describing that period of time in, uh, in uh, the parentheses portion of the time, in the parentheses of his writing. Did you all follow that? Okay. I hope so. All right. So verse 2 through 13, Paul is speaking about something we've already touched on, and that is the mystery. And here's how I wanted to relate it to my story. 
So I'm going to tell you a story. That's a story that some of you already know. But because some of you are not in the know, I'll explain it to you. You say, didn't you already say all that? Yeah, I did. It's a story that has been a secret, not of mine, but of God's. From before the foundation of the world. And it has something to do with the bride of Christ. God has a plan all along. And it was almost as if God were, if I can say it this way, bursting at the seams, wanting to tell his plan that he had been saving all along, all the things that he had thought about, all of the things that he had planned, all of the things that were pointing forward to this time, God wanted to reveal, but he didn't. He kept it secret. It was unknown to the angels. It was unknown to anyone else but God. And even after creation, God created Adam and Eve man on the earth. And it says that he walked with Adam. He talked with Adam in the cool of the day. There were only two humans on the earth at that time. And God did not reveal his plans to them. And even after creation, when he uh, talked with him in the cool of the day, he didn't tell Adam. He didn't tell Eve. He didn't tell him about his plan. It says of Abraham that Abraham was a friend of God. That means that he was very close to God in his relationship but God did not reveal this plan to Abraham either. God spoke to Noah, and he never told him a thing about this plan. And then there was Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. God revealed so much to Moses, but God did not reveal to Moses this plan. And those who were the closest to the Lord Jesus, Peter, James, and John, John it says, reclined at Jesus' breast. He couldn't be closer, physically touching the Lord. And even they, at this time, or at that time, did not know the plans, did not understand the full extent of his plans. And we can tell as we read the Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that God lived and relived his plan in his heart, just waiting for the day when he could reveal to all of us what was on his heart all along. And he wanted to express his love to the world. And in particular, Christ longed to reveal his love to his bride, both openly and in a public way. But this mystery was kept hidden from all generations and in all dispensations until we come to this dispensation, the dispensation of grace, the time of the church. Verse 2. Um, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, Paul says. And so Paul, God chose Paul in the dispensation of grace to reveal the mystery of the church to the church. Verse 3 says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. Paul specifically says here that God revealed his hidden plans to Paul. God's heart was bursting to tell the mystery, and we would never have known had he not revealed it to Paul. And Paul has already alluded to this mystery in chapters 1 and 2. And so the plan was worked out in God's heart and in his mind before the foundation of the world. And he knew that the plan would be at a terrible cost. Yet he did not withhold his son from you or from me. In my story, I told you that I was not ashamed to stoop down and pick up pennies from the street. 
I was not ashamed to go dumpster diving and dig through the filth of the garbage. I knew it was worth it because I wanted to bless my bride. But that does not compare with the stoop that Jesus took for you and for me. And we read about it in Philippians 2 where it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he stooped down to come to this earth, and he lived among the filth of our sin. And he went to the cross, and he allowed his creatures to crucify him on that cross, and he shed his blood for you and for me. And yet we read in Hebrews that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It filled him with, with joy, knowing that by doing this, he would bless his bride. In verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> it says this, By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. The mystery of Christ, which in other dispensations was not made known to the sons of men, has now been revealed. So finally, God came to the point in history that he had been waiting for all along. He had appointed a time and a place where he would reveal his secret to all men. And he revealed that secret that was hidden in his heart. And he told his apostles, the disciples, and Paul, as well as the prophets, that would be the New Testament church prophets, not the Old Testament prophets, um, who did not know. And he revealed his plans to them. And in order to execute the plan, as I said, there was a time and a date appointed. If you remember our study in the book of Daniel, we saw uh, clearly that there was a riddle in a prophecy, and it was fulfilled in a masterful uh, way by the Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into Jerusalem on a specific day that was in direct fulfillment to God's prophecy in Daniel. He rose, I'm sorry, he uh, came at an appointed time, he died at an appointed time, he rose at the predicted time. And he returned to heaven as he said. Then the Spirit of God came to that little band of believers. And that was the beginning of the church. And he did all of this because he wanted to bless his bride. Verse 6. That the Gentiles should be felt... So this is the... What is the mystery? That's what he's talking about. And this is the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So I mentioned to you that I am going to do something special with my bride for 30 days starting today. This is day one of the 30 days. And it's a celebration of our 30 years together. And as I began to disclose my plan on Facebook, some of my friends, there's a little like button there, and they pressed like, and, you know, it lights up the, 
screen for me and says, oh, somebody liked it. I'm like, oh, that's nice. They said they liked it. They thought it was neat. Others actually shed tears over it because they thought it was so sweet. But all of this hardly deserves a nod when compared with the mystery revealed by God. What I'm doing is nothing in comparison to what he's done and what he's doing right now. The mystery that God kept hidden is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That the Gentiles should be of the same body as the Jews. Jews and Gentiles together as one body with one head, all joined together as members of each other. And that the Gentiles should be partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. And so all of us who have believed have received the same Holy Spirit, whether Jew or Gentile, and we have received the Holy Spirit sealing us uh, with, um, with Himself. And we receive the promises that came with the gospel. Think of the promises that have come to us as a result of believing the gospel. Think about them. I'm only going to name a few of them. Eternal life. Eternal life, wow. Jesus said, a mansion in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He is the builder and the architect. Reigning with Christ. I mean, I could go on and on all afternoon talking about the blessings that have come our way because of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you compare that to a dozen roses or a box of chocolates? I hope I can help you to see the wonder of what Paul is expressing here. And so let me try to illustrate it this way. I love all of you. I really do. I love you all. And you have all received, in some way or other, blessings from me. Uh, In some small measure, at least. You have experienced my love for you in some way. Some of you I have counseled. Some of you I have taught. Some of you I have showed hospitality to. Some of you I have uh, comforted you or cared for you in some way, some measure. I've served you in some way. And I do these things for one reason. It's because I love you. It's that simple. But it is equally true that the one person among you who experiences my love more than any others is my wife, even more than my children. She has a unique place in my heart. And this is what Paul is trying to express here. God, it says in the scripture, God so loved the world. So he loves all of us. Every single human being who has ever lived and who will ever live, God loves the world. The scriptures tell us that. And everyone in the world has experienced his love in some way, whether large or small. We have life, we have breath, we have food, we have clothes, we have a place to live. All of these things, we have health. Just think of the love that God has poured out for every one of us in every way. But God did not take Adam and Eve and make them his bride. And God did not take the Old Testament saints, not even the Jews, and bring them this near. This unique place This special place in his heart, if you will, was reserved for this dispensation and this dispensation alone. 
We were born in a time like no other time in the history of humankind. We were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, and all of history has moved towards this time and this place when we have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only as the head of the body, but as the bridegroom and the bride. It's absolutely amazing. And as such, we are the most privileged body of believers of all time. And yet we're last. And the first shall be last. It's amazing. And as such, we, we, are, we have a unique place in his heart. And if you walk out of here today with nothing else, remember this. God loves you in a special way. Remember that one thing. Then, verse 7, he's talking about the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And it's almost like Paul pauses here to exhale. He's just thinking, wow, God did this for us in this generation, at this time. He did this for me. And he starts to think about himself personally. And he says, God did this for me? And he exhales and says with almost a whisper that God chose him, Paul, to preach the message to the Gentiles. Imagine that. Imagine that. That God bypassed Adam. God bypassed Noah. God bypassed Abraham and Moses and all of the Old Testament saints all of the Old Testament prophets and priests and kings. And he chose Paul. Paul, a persecutor of the church, a church hater, one who is trying to snuff out the bride of Christ. And God chose him. And that he became the one to reveal to the church the mystery hidden in God from before the foundation of the world. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Paul concedes in verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I, and I think that's where the emphasis is, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow. So let's pause for a minute and take a look at the Apostle Paul and why this is so amazing. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul, this is Paul before he was saved. Chapter 3, verses 4 through. He's describing what he was like before he was saved, at least. Um, And he's saying this, talking about how if anybody has confidence in the flesh, he should, he should be the one who has confidence in the flesh. In other words, he was a self-righteous, pompous Pharisee. Okay, That's really what he's going to describe here. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Wow. 
That was Paul. That's what he thought about himself before he was saved. He had everything together, everything right. That was Paul. So, we see that in the book of Acts, that Paul was a threat to the early church and sought to persecute the church. He agreed with the stoning of Stephen. He arrested men, women, and children and put them in prison because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tried to snuff out the life of the early church. But on the road one day, Jesus got Paul's attention. He spoke to him from heaven and stopped him in his mad pursuit and saved his soul. And Paul was never the same again. He went from a self-righteous Pharisee to considering himself as dung. That's what he says. What a transformation upon meeting the Savior. And it was to this one who is the least that the Lord used to reveal the mystery. So just if you're still in Philippians 3, skip down to verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or, or dung, and that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Now, we know from this passage in Ephesians 1 that we looked at a few weeks ago that Paul was chosen before the foundation of the world, before there was ever a Paul, or there was ever a Paul's parents, or all the way back to Adam, before there was even those parents. Paul, God chose Paul before the foundation of the world. We also know from Galatians 1 that he was chosen from the moment he was conceived in his mother's womb. Because it says this, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And even though Paul had had such a great and high privilege, yet he considered himself, in 1 Corinthians 15.9, the least of the apostles. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the chief of sinners... And in our text here, the least of all the saints. He says, I'm nothing. And God used a nothing and a nobody like me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow. The grace of God. God took the least. He took the chief of sinners. And he gave him the awesome, awesome privilege of revealing God's hidden plan to the Gentiles. Such is the grace of God in working in a person's life. And so if God should choose you to do anything for him. Let me recommend listening to the Apostle Paul's words and keep humble like Paul and view yourself as he did. Romans 12.3 says this, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So before I get back to Ephesians, let me ask you a question. Do you realize, fellow believers, that uh, God's hidden plan included you? God had this plan that he kept secret. And then he revealed through the Apostle Paul and other apostles and New Testament prophets. And that plan included you. It includes you. 
And I can't, think, I can't help think that God has been longing for you to know the unsearchable riches of Christ that he has in store for you, just like he wanted Paul to know that. And if, if I have been bursting at the seams, waiting to reveal my love for my wife this month, I can only imagine how God feels about his plans for you and for me in Christ. We are his church. We are his bride. So I'm going to ask you a question. Who is it that God uses to serve him, to preach to our generation about the unsearchable riches of Christ? Who is it that God uses? Well, the answer of who is to preach is found in Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 1. Matthew 28 says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. You say, well, that's the early church. Those were the early disciples. That's who he was talking about. They were to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And they did a pretty good job. It says that they turned the world upside down with their preaching. So the work's been done, right? Wrong. We have a lot more people on the planet now than they did then. Seven plus billion, or maybe it's closer to eight billion people on planet Earth today. That's our generation. You say, well... Am I included? Yes. And how do I know? Because the last part of the verse says this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's where we are. And so we're included. You're included in this work that God has in store. This is part of the work that God had hidden from all generations until ours. You're included. You're part of the work because He loves His bride. But his bride is not complete yet. And our responsibility is to go out and win those who still don't know. And you say, the calling is twofold, really. One is to preach the gospel to all the nations. The second is to teach them the doctrines of the faith. And who does God use for that? 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, For you see your calling, brethren. Look around you, is what he's saying. Look at the one next to you. Look at the one in front of you and behind you. Not many wise. You say, oh, that hurts. No, that's who God uses. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's who God uses. He uses the least of the saints. He uses the least. He uses the chief of sinners. He uses the foolish. He uses the weak. He uses the base and the despised. In other words, he uses you and he uses me. That's who he uses. And what are we to accomplish? Well, Matthew, go back to Matthew. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to make disciples of every nation, the Scripture says. Many years ago, I would say it was probably 30 years ago, um, in the early days of our marriage, Krista and I spent a lot of time in prayer. 
wondering how the Lord would use us, what direction we should take, all of those sorts of things. And we asked the Lord if he would allow two nobodies to do something for him. And we knew we were qualified because we were weak, and we were least, and we were foolish, and we were despised. And so we knew we qualified. And so we prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, would you use us in some way, some small measure? And then we asked the Lord what seemed like an enormous thing. Lord, would you allow us to reach into every country of the world with the gospel? Who are we? We are nothing. We are nobody. Who do we think we were? But it didn't matter who we were. We were trusting in the Lord. Now, somebody told me, and I think there's actually a range, but somebody said there are roughly 200 countries in the world. You say, well, how could there be roughly 200 countries? I mean, isn't there a specific number? Well, apparently not. So apparently there's conflict enough in some countries that we're not sure whether they really are countries still, okay, or whether they will be tomorrow. But somewhere in the 190s to 210 range, let's say, that's how many countries there are in the world, and uh, today at least. That was our goal, was to reach every country of the world. And over the years, God has done some amazing things in allowing us to get literature into a lot of those countries. And um, a lot of them were actually closed to the gospel, and yet the Lord allowed us to get literature in anyway. And uh, there were countries that were really quite uh, radically against Christian literature. And more recently, we've opened our home, and so far we've had people from 38 different countries of the world. Now, that's a far cry from 200, but it's a start. And it's been 30 years since we prayed. Well, we've continued to pray that way, but it's been 30 years that we've been praying that way. And it's only 200 countries. You'd think we'd have finished the goal by now, but we haven't. We haven't. And so I would ask you to pray with us that in our lifetime, we would still see the answer to that prayer. And why couldn't the Lord use Calvary Bible Chapel that way too, to reach out to the world as well? You say, well, do we qualify? Yeah, we do. Why? Because we're weak, because we're despised, because we're foolish. All of those things apply to us as a group as well. And because we're really on one little postage stamp size of property in comparison to the whole world, so we're nothing. And God can take nothing and do something with it. He made the world in the first place out of nothing. So certainly he can do it. And so I want to encourage you. There's so much land yet to be conquered. And if you really want a goal in life, pray that you would have an impact worldwide from this postage size place on planet earth. What are we to preach? Well, we're to preach the same thing Paul did, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Lord has chosen people. He says this in the scripture that in heaven there will be people from every nation, kindred, tongue. That means the whole gamut. There will be people of all races, of all ethnic backgrounds, of all language groups. They'll all be in heaven. But who's going to reach them? How are we going to reach them? The Lord has chosen people from every country to be part of his bride. And he wants to bless his bride. 
And he did all of those things, including going to the cross and shedding his blood because he wanted to bless his bride. He's eager to let the world know that Jesus saves. What can I do? What can you do to be part of his grand plan? Well, how does this mystery work itself out? Take a look at verse... Um, well, let me go back to the right chapter, first of all. Verse 10. Let me go back to verse 9. To make to, uh, all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places through his body, the church. And the church is chosen by God to show his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The angels and the devils did not know that all of this was in God's heart and his mind from all eternity. They didn't know that. And now God has revealed his plan to his church, his bride. And they are watching in awe as he unfolds his plan day by day, more and more each day. And his eternal purposes are being accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And his purposes will be accomplished. How? Well, I think it has something to do with prayer. Because he says in verse 12 about the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have boldness to enter his presence and ask for great things. Are you asking the Lord for great things? How you can be a part of this plan of revealing to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ. Will we act on faith? Will we show the world that Jesus saves? Paul then returns to prison, at least on paper. He was already in prison and was still here at verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. There may be, in fact, suffering associated with getting the gospel out. It's not a disgrace if you're sent to prison, if you're sent to prison for preaching the gospel. Work for the Lord. So I want to encourage all of you, but I want to especially encourage the young people here in our midst. Why? Because you're still young and we're getting old. And uh, I want to think about or encourage you to look at your future. Look at the years that you have left in your life. And ask yourself how you might be part of the eternal plans and purposes of God in getting the gospel out to the entire world. Can you do it? With his help, you can. What should you do first? Pray. That's what it says. Pray. Ask the Lord, Lord, where do I fit? What do you want me to do? We have, Chris and I were talking about this uh, about a week ago. I said, you know, when we started literature distribution, and I'm glad we started it when we did, but when we started it, we had to put books together, package them in boxes, put stamps on them, devote it to the post office, and hope that they would get there at some point in history. And literally, when some of those books went out, it took more than a year to get to its destination. Uh, it was book rate, slowest boat in uh, the world, and I think it made several trips around the world before it emptied its cargo. But eventually the books got there. And um, 
we're grateful because the Lord multiplied those books and, and caused them to be translated and caused them to be printed in foreign languages and so on and, and so forth. And, and he caused the work to be done. I take no credit for it, but I just am grateful to him for that. But today, when I th- we were talking about this yesterday. Uh, we were speaking about the book that uh, Strong wrote, his Strong's Concordance. That man... I can't tell you how many years he spent putting that concordance together. And I was trying to imagine what it was like to put a concordance together when all you had was paper and pen. And every single word in every verse of all the scripture had to be written down with a cross-reference and a little bit of the phrase so you'd understand what it said, what it meant in its context, and then the Greek word or Hebrew word that it was associated with it, and so on. Can you imagine the filing system that guy must have had? Okay, here's the letter A, the word ah. Okay, let me go to the file, you know, 26 filing cabinets and all of the letters of the words in alphabetical order, uh, A. Let's see here somewhere. Okay, here's another A in the scripture. Writes it down. The. Okay, I got to go to this filing cabinet. The. Pull it out. T, 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 H. Okay, here it is. And pulls it out and puts that down there. For every one of those things, by hand, we're blessed by his work, even to this day. And I think of the time, it was a lifetime of work, just to put one concordance together. Of course, it was published and republished and distributed and so on. In a matter of a fraction of a second, I can press a button on my computer and I can have all of that in order, exactly what I'm looking for. And I type... I, I press on one of the letters, of, uh, one of the words, and that word pops up in another screen. And on that screen comes up the meaning of that word in Hebrew and its context and everything else like that. Whatever you want, he's doing it right now, okay? And you can do it on your cell phone. And I think of our generation. We have the largest number of people ever to reach. And how are we going to do it? You know... I think I've said this before, God used, uses even the heathen to praise him. I think of Alexander the Great, who changed the world and the world's language so that the Bible could be written in Greek. And then God took him out of the way, and he brought in another nation. And that nation was the Roman nation, and they were builders, and they built roads, and they built massive infrastructure uh, throughout the known world at the time. And it was done, you know, the, the people of Rome enjoyed it, but it wasn't done for them. It was done for the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus wanted to get the gospel out to the world. And those roads were readied for him. Now, everybody else could use them, but they were his. And I think of people like Mark Zuckerberg or whatever his name is, Mark Z, let's just put it that way. My first friend on Facebook, by the way. (laughs) And, you know, he thought it would be great to put this whole social media thing together. And uh, it's been both a curse and a blessing. Those who are unsaved use it to curse others. But those who are saved have used it to bless others. And I think the Lord did that for the Christians Everybody else can use it. It's okay. But he did that for the Christians. And I think of the computer technology that we have today where it would be so easy 
to get the gospel into every country of the world, and you don't even have to go. So easy. What can our generation do to get the gospel to the whole world? Seven plus billion people are waiting to hear of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Are you going to be part of that plan? You can be, because God chose you before the foundation of the world that you might be used by him to reach this generation. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at the plan that you had kept hidden from all generations. As we think about the love that you have for us, Lord, it just amazes us, really. And to think that you waited until our generation our dispensation, to reveal that plan to us and that we might be the bride of Christ. Yeah, it's emotional. It's, it floors us, Lord, when we think about it. But Lord, we think about how many still don't know. And yet, you have chosen them. And I just pray, Lord, that in our generation, we would not sit idly by, watching as people are born, and people live and people die. But Lord, that you might move in the hearts of this assembly and the people here. And Lord, that you might use us to spread the gospel as widely as we possibly can. We can do nothing, Lord, but you can do it all. You can do everything. And we just cry out to you, Lord, that you might use us to glorify your name, to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, worship him, that the bride might be complete, and that you might come and take us to be with you for all eternity. We ask you for this, Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.